0: Welcome to the Conversations with Christians Engage podcast. Hosted by Bunny Pounds, this podcast is created as part of our ministry to awaken, motivate, educate, and empower believers in Jesus Christ to pray for our nation and elected officials regularly, to vote in every election to impact our culture, and to help us engage our hearts in some form of civic education and involvement for the well-being of our nation. Please share this podcast and our ministry, with your family and friends by asking them to take our pledge to pray, vote, and engage. They can take the pledge on our website at christiansengaged.org. We can all change America one heart at a time. We are here to serve you and empower you to be a leader in your community. Today we are joined by Tim Barton. President of Wall Builders. Tim serves with his father, David Barton, who founded the organization. Wall Builders is an organization dedicated to presenting America's forgotten history and heroes, with a special emphasis on the moral, religious, and constitutional foundation on which America was built, a foundation which, in recent years, has been seriously attacked and undermined. In this conversation, Bunny and Tim will discuss our CE Book Club selection for April. Tim and David's book, The American Story, The Beginnings. This conversation will show you that the providence of God was instrumental in our nation's founding. So stay tuned.
1: everybody. It's Bunny Pounds with another conversation with Christians Engage. We are in season two, and what an amazing time we've had this season. We've had Dave Cabal from Intercessors from America, Michelle Bachman, um, John Zamirak, um, Susan Wright. I mean, it's gone on and on with courageous leaders. This is our book club episode. Once a month, we do a book And we want to inspire you to read books. Books are so great. You remember what they feel like in your hands? Anybody remember this? Books. So I just got back from Destin, Florida for my 26th wedding anniversary. Praise the Lord. And Tim and I were sitting on the beach. It was kind of cold, but we were reading. I was reading this amazing book. By David Barton and Tim Barton, which is our book club feature for the month of April. It's called The American Story, The Beginnings. Those of you who don't know Walled Builders, David Barton, Tim Barton's his amazing son that I have on today. Um, but anyway, you have to be familiar with wall Builders. These guys are teaching us about the Founding Fathers, the Constitution, the beginnings of our nation. Um, I just told Tim offline I had a revival at American history reading this book. So, Tim, thank you so much for joining us today. Hey, Bunny, good, to,
2: good to be with you. Thanks for having me on.
1: Woohoo! Okay, so everybody's tired of me saying woohoo, but that's my thing. Um, What you guys need to know about Tim is he's the president of Wall Builders. Um, Wall Builders, again, is a national pro-family organization that presents America's forgotten history and heroes, which we're going to get into in this conversation, with an emphasis on their religious, moral, and constitutional heritage. Um, Tim is an ordained minister. He is, I, I, I'm a worship, past worship leader too, Tim. Past worship leader, youth pastor, been involved in ministry forever. And these are some of our partners as we converge and help people converge their faith with political and civic mm-hmm. engagement. And nobody teaches the Constitution and our founding fathers and American history as good as wall builders. So, Tim, thank you for joining us today.
2: Oh, it's my pleasure. Thanks for having me on.
1: So let's talk about the American Storybook. You guys have a lot of books. Um, You probably don't even know how many books you guys have written or produced. But this one specifically, tell us about the beginnings of writing the American Storybook with your father.
2: Uh, yeah, and just to catch everybody up, uh, in case somebody doesn't know, we have at WallBuilders the largest private collection of original documents from the founding era. Uh, it, it, there's actually a collaborative effort now. We, we do some work with Glenn Beck, and so he has some artifacts. And so combined, we have more than 160,000 items and artifacts from American history. At Wall Builders, we probably have 120,000 items and artifacts from American history, that the vast majority of those are from the founding era and prior. And so we're able to go back and read the actual writings many times in their own handwritten, you know, quill and ink pen kind of letters that we can read the founding fathers work. So we have letters from George Washington and John Adams and Thomas Jefferson and Benjamin Franklin and Sam Adams and John Hancock and really every major founding father. We actually have some of their writings, or some of their proclamations as governor. We have some of their journals. We we have some of their their works or their volumes of writings, as the case might be. And so, what we do is we try to go back to the original and and help people know the truth of our nation, as opposed to whatever the modern narrative is. Which I you know certainly right now we are in the middle of hearing the narrative that's been shaped by the 1619 Project. Where we're hearing about critical race theory, and a lot of the narrative being shaped today is not based on truth. It's certainly not based on historic reality. And we go back to the original documents, and we help present that. So that's just to catch people up a little bit. So, our book, The American Story, is the first book that really is kind of a a walk through American history. We introduce. Christopher Columbus is kind of the the discoverer of America, even though we acknowledge, right, he's not the first one here. And we really with some islands that he discovered, not like mainland. Nonetheless, we walk through Columbus and tell the story of Columbus. And we end up going through about the end of slavery in America. And part of the reason we wrote this is people have asked us for years to write a book on American history. I, my, my dad started Wall Builders back in the 80s. So we've been around literally for decades. And most of what we've done has been topic related uh, or or more academic or uh, maybe even a biography of some kind. And so we really haven't done a, a kind of dive chronological from Columbus forward. And this was an inspiration that we said, we really need to help tell the story, especially with all of the woke history today, with all the misinformation today. There's a lot of people, that are believing a lot of things about the founding fathers, uh, about the pilgrims or even Jamestown as the case might be. And even Christopher Columbus, where there's a move now to cancel Columbus Day. And instead and we're going to have indigenous people's day and we can't celebrate Columbus because he was really bad and evil and did all these evil things. That is the modern narrative. And the truth is just not the same thing as a modern narrative. The truth is that none of the people from American history, in fact, nobody alive today is perfect. We, we understand the Bible tells us that all have sin and fallen short of the glory of God. So nobody's perfect. But with the understanding that nobody's perfect, if you look back historically, there was not a more noble or more honorable explorer in that era than Christopher Columbus. If you go to Plymouth, there, there wasn't a colony that had a, a better mindset of equality or a freedom, the way they treated the natives and, and the way they treated each other and, and the way they served each other and the way they loved God and read their Bible, that you're not going to find a better colony. People look back today and go, Oh, but wait a second, right? The pilgrims the Puritans, they were intolerant. There's so many narratives we have today and when we don't know the truth, it's easy to believe a lie. And so what we wanted to do is go back with the American story and say, uh, there, there used to be a commentator called Paul Harvey, right? And, and he used to say, and now the rest of the story. What we wanted to do in our book is go back and kind of show the rest of the story of things that either people were not hearing any of the story or part of the story they were hearing was blatantly false or intentionally misleading. So we wanted to kind of present the truth of American history.
1: Well, and that's why I love this book. Um You know, if you want to see the thread of the providence of God through our American history, and you guys start that out with the foreword saying, We're going to weave the golden thread, so to speak, of how God's hand was upon our nation. Now, we all know that everything was not perfect, right? All the time. But the amazing story of seeing how God intervened in the affairs of men from, you know, the Revolutionary War victories. Too, I was really touched how all the things you guys brought up that you don't really think about. There's this secular narrative out there that our founders were just complete deists, that they just were so unreligious, anti religion. You guys bring out um, the reality of even mm. Benjamin Franklin's faith growth, which was fascinating to me, Patrick Henry's faith, all these. But can you give us a couple examples of just in the founders' lives? Some things that people don't think about.
2: Absolutely. So, so, first of all, you've you named two individuals that I love to talk about, both of them. In fact, Franklin is one of my favorite to talk about with this narrative and story because people instantly recognize Franklin as being one of the least religious founding fathers. That right, he was a deist founding father. And, and it is worth, I mean, money, it's worth noting when, when people talk about the founding fathers or American history, most of the time people talk in generalizations. Right. They'll say, Well, we know all the founding fathers were, were atheists, agnostic, or deists. We know all the founding fathers were slaveholders. and we hear in generalities and what happens is for most people, they don't even actually know who the founding fathers were. They, they don't know what they did. They don't know their lives, what they believed, or even their position on slavery as the case might be. And so if you look at, for example, the signers of the declaration, there's 56 individuals who signed the declaration. If you go forward to the constitution, there were 55 founding fathers that actually helped draft, that wrote the constitution. 39 signed it because you had a big segment that wouldn't sign it because there wasn't a bill of rights. It didn't end slavery. There was a, a several reasons that they identified, but then you get to the first Congress. The first Congress is the one that does the bill of rights. And there's some, noted members in the first Congress, but there's 90 members in the first Congress. And then you have people like Patrick Henry who never signed a major governing document. Really, I mean, apart from his famous, give me liberty or give me death speech, there's not a lot of involvement you can point to to go, man, this is where he was huge and making a difference. Now, certainly he was very involved in Virginia, uh, very involved in their state legislative body. And he was governor for, for years in Virginia. But the point is, that some people wouldn't consider him a founding father because he didn't sign the declaration or the constitution or wasn't part of one of the framers of the bill of rights. And so we would say, well, actually we, we would consider him. And there's some generals in the revolution. If you look big picture at the founding fathers, there's about 250 individuals that we would consider founding fathers. Now, maybe you, you could narrow that down to maybe, maybe there's 200, right? We could reduce that list a little bit if we needed to, but the point is, there's at least 200, maybe 250 that we would call founding fathers. And for most people, they don't, they don't know who the founding fathers were. They might can name three or four or five names. And the reason, again, I bring this up is we hear these narratives today. Well, the founding fathers, they didn't believe in God. They were atheists or agnostics or deists. And, and I love when people make some of these claims to just allow them the chance to defend the claim they just made, right? And I'll say, really? So they didn't believe what? Well, who do you know that was an atheist, an agnostic or a deist? And they generally will say, well, Benjamin Franklin, uh, Thomas Jefferson, George Washington. And I feel like they're just saying the the only names they know. And historically, none of those individuals fit in the category of atheist, agnostic or deist. None of them. The only founding father who in his lifetime ever identified or ever called himself at any level or any occasion a deist, the only founding father called himself a deist. And I would point out there was not a single atheist founding father, none. And there were people in early America who were atheists, just none who were founding fathers. Same thing with agnostic. There were individuals involved in the revolution. We had some military officers, even some military generals on occasion who would fit more in the category of an agnostic, maybe one or two that you could argue were a deist, but they wouldn't fit in the category of founding father. They they weren't that influential and that involved. All that to say, atheist agnostics, and deists did exist, just not in the founding father's category. But back to Benjamin Franklin. Benjamin Franklin is the only founding father who ever self-identified as a deist. And I would encourage everybody listening or watching this today what i'm going to tell you don't take my word for it go back and look this up if you go back and read his autobiography autobiography this is where he identified as a deist and it's it's on on the page where he identifies a deist if you read the next two sentences what he says is that when he was young he decided he was going to be a deist because it seemed the most reasonable position to take but as he considered it more. It occurred to him that even though deism might be true in some aspects, that it was of no benefit to him and no use to anybody else. So he quickly left that belief behind. The only founding father who ever self-identified as a deist said he tried it out for like, what, a day and a half and then decided it wasn't good anymore. That's the only one who ever identified as a deist. And if you go through even Franklin's autobiography and his own autobiography, excuse me, autobiography. I don't know why that word was hard for me and yep. his own autobiography. I did it again. Autobiography. My cameraman's laughing at me now. This is ridiculous. I don't know why I'm having trouble with words. Lord help me. So in this book that he wrote about himself, I can say those words. Uh, Franklin goes on and talks about on numerous occasions where God's providence showed up and God had done miracles or God had blessed him in his life. And God's providence blessed us. God's providence did this. Well, if God's involved, that's not what a deist believe. A deist believes the idea of the clockmaker theory that God wound up the world and then turned it loose and God's not involved anymore. Franklin, although we would probably argue was not a Christian, does not fit in the category of atheist, agnostic, or deist. And, and there's a lot of reasons for that. And in fact, in our book, we highlight several that we actually, we, we, there's more than a thousand footnotes in our book. And in our book, we, we actually have several quotes from Franklin. As an example, when people say that, you know, these guys weren't religious, didn't believe in God, Franklin in the Pennsylvania state constitution, Franklin is the guy who is uh, given credit for coming up with the wording for what you have to say for the oath of office to be elected in Pennsylvania and the Pennsylvania oath of office that you, if you were going to be elected, you had to declare the following statements. Viz, I do believe in one God, the creator of the universe, the rewarder of the good, the punisher of the wicked. I do believe that the Old and New Testament is given by divine inspiration. And it goes on. and, And the whole like Franklin wrote this. Franklin actually on several occasions talks about he believed that there was a God. He believed in the God of miracles. If you go to 1776, when we separate from Great Britain, there was a, a committee with John Adams, Thomas Jefferson, Benjamin Franklin, and they were on a committee together. And they were assigned with coming up with the national seal and motto. And there actually were a couple of committees working on things. So the, the seal and motto that they suggested didn't end up being the one that was chosen. But Franklin, and you, this is all things you can go back and read their own writings. Franklin suggested that the seal and motto for America, he said the seal ought to be Moses standing on one side of the Red Sea with the Red Sea parted, and Moses raising his staff. And in the middle of the sea was Pharaoh's army and his. As the staff is being raised, maybe the waters are are beginning to collapse on Pharaoh's army. And then beyond the sea, you see this this pillar of a fire, this cloud, because, again, Old Testament, right? It was fire by day or excuse me, it was cloud by day, fire by night. He said that should be that should be the seal. And then the motto that goes around the seal was rebellion to tyrants is obedience to God. Franklin was not a secular person. In fact, the very suggestion for our seal and motto of the nation is something that arguably would come from a Sunday school class in America, right? This, this wouldn't come from a secular deist anti-religious founding father, but as you study their own writings, and this is where we encourage people, don't, don't just take some professor's word for something, right? Go back and study their actual writings. When you study their actual writings, Benjamin Franklin was very outspoken about his faith and his belief in God. In fact, along franklin's journey he ended up becoming very good friends with george whitfield the famous evangelist from the first great awakening franklin even builds an extension on his house and asks whitfield to live with him like there's so many things we can point to and and, and as i'm even rattling off some of these things i would think for most listeners these are things they haven't heard of And, and keep in mind benjamin franklin everybody agrees is the least religious founding father If that's the least religious founding father, right, what does that say about the other founding fathers? And that's the point we would make is, first of all, we don't even know who the founding fathers were anymore. Secondly, we've never really studied their writings, so we don't know their life. We don't know their beliefs. We don't know their positions on things. And yet today we're drawing conclusions that are not historically accurate. And it's shaping the way we view America. It's shaping what we're doing in education with raising kids and and teaching them to hate the founding fathers, to hate America, that America was evil, et cetera, et cetera, those are all things that are based on intentional misinformation. They're not based on truth or original documents.
1: Well, and that gets me into this point. Why is this important for us to understand? Why are we having like, uh, you're so passionate about this, which I love. You're passionate about defending the, the, the heritage of our nation and the founding fathers. Why is that important? Because they understood that without a moral and r- religious mm-hmm. people, that had a foundation in the Bible that had an understanding of what truth was that had an understanding of national, uh, natural law. There I am messing up words, natural law, um, and conscience, what kind of government, what kind of society would we have? And that's what we're seeing in the modern world right now is this, you know, there are no laws, there are no controls, there are no right and wrong All of this throwing up, you know, there's not even two genders, right? So, how do we define truth? And why is that important that our nation has been um, strengthened all these years because of the foundations that we have had this nation built on, Tim?
2: Yeah, and this is a really important thought because the founding fathers were very clear that truth did exist and they knew where truth came from. It's why when Thomas Jefferson wrote in the Declaration that we owe these truths to be self-evident and they went through some of the truths they knew were self-evident, that, that we all were created equal in God's image, that that God gave us all inalienable rights and that government exists to protect those God-given rights. Like Those were self-evident, obvious truths. But it's because they knew truth existed. And actually, in the Declaration, before they even get to wield these truths to be self evident, there's an acknowledgement of the laws of nature and of nature's God. Well, the laws of nature and nature's God go back to some philosophers that were around at the time of the founding fathers. And, and from books, the founding fathers were very familiar with. One of those authors was William Blackstone, Blackstone's commentators on the laws of England, famous English philosopher, lawyer, writer. And Blackstone pointed out that God has revealed truth to humans in two ways through his creation and through his written word. And that's where we get the laws of nature and the laws of nature's God. And this is also something that scripture tells us uh, in Romans, where Paul says that all men are without excuse, because even the intricacies of the Godhead can be discovered in nature, that God reveals himself in nature. So everybody is without excuse to this understanding. that There is a God. There's something beyond us. With that being said, the founding fathers acknowledged that because we know that the laws of nature, nature's God exist, they go through some things therefore we hold these truths to be self-evident the truth that they understood was truth built in the bible and even to your point where looking at the nation today we have so many problems and issues in our nation because we've rejected the premise of truth we've rejected biblical truth and one of the things we know from the bible is that god's ways work and when you reject god's ways, in fact this morning i was reading in deuteronomy 28 and in deuteronomy 28 is where moses is telling the israelites right hey if, if you follow God's commands, you will be blessed in everything you do, everywhere you go. If you do it God's way, God's way will work. It will be better for you. But if you reject God's commands, if you don't do it God's way, then curses will chase you down. They will overtake you. What you do won't work. It will be a disaster. That's what we're seeing right now. In America, we have... In in our present era, we have rejected so much biblical truth, so many things that that it shouldn't be confusing, right? Like, no Christian should ever be confused about how many genders there are, because you can read Genesis 1 26 and 27, that in his image he made them male and female, he created them, right? This is super simple. God made male and female. In fact, biology still shows us that there's still X and Y chromosomes. And yet, as Christians, way too often we are confused about things that the Bible is not confusing about it, it's just we don't know the Bible very well, or we don't believe the Bible or defend the Bible very well. And early America was very different. And this is where even John Adams talking about the constitution, he says our constitution was made only for a moral and a religious people, it is wholly inadequate to the government of any other, meaning that our nation only works when you have a moral and religious foundation. And George, excuse me, uh, George Washington, his farewell address, said something very similar, that religion and morality were indispensable supports of our political prosperity. He said, in vain would that man claim the tribute of patriotism who should labor to subvert these great pillars. Meaning if you oppose religion and morality in America, you're not a patriot. They knew that our nation only works with a a religious and moral foundation and underpinning. And part of the reason that's absolutely makes sense is because in America, we believe in freedom. We, we, the Constitution, we believe in giving freedom to people. It limits the federal government. And in fact, we have state constitutions. They limit our state government. We should be able to have the freedom to make choices, except when you have immoral people and you give immoral people freedom, they do immoral things. That, that's why even over the last couple of years, we've seen an unbelievable increase of violent crime, uh, of murders, of shootings, right, of, of, of thefts. We've seen crazy things happening. When you give freedom to people who don't have a moral code or moral compass, Shaped by the Bible, bad things happen. And this is what the founding fathers knew very well. Uh, Benjamin Rush, one of the signers of the Declaration, he helped ratify the Constitution. He then served under George Washington, then under John Adams, then under Thomas Jefferson. When those three were presidents, he was served on all their administrations. And, and he became known as the father of public schools under the Constitution in America. And one of the things he did was he began writing essays about how education should work in America. One of his essays was called The Bible in Schools. And, and he goes through the essay and, and just gives reason after reason after reason why the Bible should be the number one, the primary textbook that kids use in school should be the Bible because of what it was going to produce in them, and then what it would produce in their community, and from their community to their state, state to the nation. So the Bible was going to produce these things we wanted. His conclusion of this essay, and, and by the way, you can find the essay online. I would encourage people to go look it up, uh, Benjamin Rush, Bible in Schools essay. He concludes the essay by saying that he says, "I lament." That if we neglect to put the Bible in schools, we would spend so much time and money punishing crimes when we have taken so little pain to prevent them. He said we profess to be a Republican form of government, and yet we would be eliminating the one thing that would secure the foundation of our republic, the use of the Bible in schools. He was very clear. Right. If you remove the Bible, you're going to have a violent crime explosion and the foundation of our republic would begin to crumble. We are seeing both of those things happen. This is where the founding fathers are very clear. And one of the reasons I would even go further, Bunny, and big picture, why why are these issues important today? We've seen for the last 60 or 70 years attacks under the guise of Marxism, which is a very real thing. Uh, Today, even the notion of critical race theory, critical race theory is a a, a spinoff of critical theory. Critical theory is a Marxist theory. Uh, Marxism reared its ugly ugly head in America back early 1900s when you had the progressive movement taking over and they start implementing things. But, But in more of a modern era, if you get to the 60s and 70s, the 1960s and 1970s, we heard attacks on the founding fathers that, uh, you know, they they were sexually immoral people, that they were philanderers, they were adulterers, like these weren't really good moral guys. You go to the 80s and 90s, we heard attacks on the founding fathers that, you know, they really weren't religious guys, that they, they were atheists, agnostics, or deists, they believed in a separation of church and state. You go to the 2000s, the 2010s, and we hear much more of the narrative of, well, they were all these racist, bigoted slaveholders, they're all these evil men. And the point I would highlight is that literally for 60 years, we have been villainizing the founding fathers. That's not by accident. And by the way, almost everything said about them is historically incorrect on lots of levels. But that's not the point right now. For 60 years, they've been villainized. The reason they've been villainized is because one of the ideas of Marxism is Marxism is. a a movement to overthrow to to, to topple the status quo the government as it exists And, and what marxism did it said look there's there's different classes of people and there's two primary classes you have the oppressed and you have the oppressor and so now in america like critical race theory teaches that if you are white you are historically and systemically an oppressor and if you are of dark skin right if you're brown or black or whatever the case might be if you have darker skin then you fall in the oppressed category and that's just the only two categories there are but this is where people are now they're they're painting that picture of the founding fathers. And again, why does this matter? Because if we can paint the founding fathers as being evil people, then it's a lot easier to make the argument that, well, the declaration, the constitution, those are evil documents because it came right from these racist, terrible, awful people. And if we can paint the founding fathers as evil, then you can paint the, the founding documents. The declaration of the constitution is evil. And then it's easier to stir up a movement of oppressed people, people who've been oppressed by these terrible racist documents. and then There will be a movement to overthrow, overturn the constitution to eliminate the declaration so that Marxism can then have full effect and we can be a different nation under this Marxist ideology. This is where we see so many of these attacks. And also, keep in mind, one of the primary moves early on in Marxism is to secularize a nation because if there is a really big God, you don't need a really big government. So every time you see Marxist policies and Marxist leaders taking over, one of their goals and initiatives is to eliminate religion, to remove religion, to reduce the influence of religion, because in in life, all of human history, there's only two options for governments. There's either or, or really for society as a whole. You either have a really big God or you have a really big government. And the smaller your God gets, the bigger your government gets. But the bigger your view of God, the less government you need because you have the moral foundation and you have the boundaries and you have the clarity of what you should do. And even this notion that that my God shall supply all my needs according to his riches and glory. Right. I don't need the government giving me more and more and more money. I need them to stop taking my money away. Right. I need them to stop redistributing my money. But but it's a different thought. You only have two options in Marxism. They want to eliminate God and they want to demonize the people who are currently in charge or the documents that are in charge so they can overturn, overthrow and then form a new government.
1: OK, we got the big picture of what's really happening. That was amazing, Tim, because we we underestimate the power of what they're doing, rewriting history. Right. But that's where they're going. That's what's happening here. And so we all need to be on guard and we all need to be teaching our children and grandchildren the truth and I just want to encourage people to go to wallbuilders.com, check out all of their resources. I know as a homeschooling mom, I used them for years. Um, your dad, David, spoke um, at Christ for the Nations when I was a young Bible school student when I was 18, you know, and taught us the truth about world uh, American history. And I'll never forget it. And it was totally formational in my life. So, you guys, we need this information. And I want to encourage you to read the American story. So buy it. Uh, Go to wallbuilders.com, buy it on their website, and then you'll find a whole bunch of other resources while you're at it. Or or go to Amazon, you know, Amazon, or wherever you want you get your Christian books, okay? Get this, but I want to end with this, Tim. Um, I was inspired by Squanto's story, and I know I've heard your dad tell Squanto's story before, but I want to end with an inspiration for people that their life matters and that even through all the twists and turns of their Mm -hmm. lives, God has a plan and he has a plan for our nation, right? He really does. So Squanto was taken as a slave, right? Transported across the ocean as an Indian, um, Native American. Friars get him out, right? In Spain, he learns the gospel. He learns about God, gets to England, learns English, then goes all the way across, to back, across the ocean to go back to home to his community, gets back to the new world and discovers that everybody's dead because of sickness and illness and plague, right? His life looked, looked over like what in the world? I mean, I can't imagine having just gone through that whole journey, gets back, has nobody and then all of a sudden the pilgrims are there right the pilgrims and he yeah. is the only one on the planet really that can bridge the world between the english peeping uh, english speaking pilgrims his the native americans and teach them how to grow food and how to survive right and this is where we yeah. get the beautiful story of thanksgiving that we all know is being distorted by rewriting history as well That is such an inspiring story of destiny and purpose for so many people. And that's what this book and other books um, that the Bartons are producing should give us hope in this hour for what's happening. Speak to that for a second, Tim. How do we become people of destinies and take these twists and turns of our life, even your individual life? I would love to hear as you conclude how God called you into this to walk with your father and to walk with wall builders. Um, because we know it's not always pretty, but to be that voice in America in this hour.
2: Yeah, so one of the things that uh, certainly as a Christian, uh, we we should have the perspective, have a biblical worldview. We should see things through the lens of scripture. Uh, our, Our views, our thoughts, our ideas should be shaped by the truth of the word of God. And so one of the things that we know then to be true is that there is a God and that God does get involved in the affairs of man. He does intervene with people. So like even in our book, The American Story, when we look back, we're not we're not coming up with ideas saying, hey, you know, we think God did this and we're the first person to think this like, no, for the history of America, people who understood there was a God and who understood that God did get involved in in the lives of people. There were so many moments when they said, had it not been for God, we would not have made it. And look what God just did. In fact, what the Pilgrims team said about Squanto, where, where Governor Bradford in his own journal said that he was a gift to them from God, because at a time when. When they arrive in 1620 and, and it's the first winter, they don't know. They, they First of all, they weren't even trying to go to Plymouth. They were trying to get to the Jamestown colony. And providentially, God has this storm that blows them north and they land in this uninhabited terrain. There's nobody around. They don't know what's going on. They don't know where to go. It's winter. It's November up in New England. There's snow on the ground. Half of the pilgrims died that first year. They don't know what to do. And in the midst of this, right, they they've never been in this world before. So they don't know how to hunt in this world is different than over in England. It's different than Europe. They, they don't know how to grow crops. I mean, they, some of them knew how to hunt and grow crops, but it was different here and they hadn't learned the nuance differences yet. And so in the midst of this, this is where, first of all, Samoset, one of their very first interactions with the Native American, Samoset happens to be the first one, and he speaks some English, and they're blown away. They had no idea they were English-speaking natives. And, and he said, hey, I have a friend, and I want you to meet this friend. And, and, and then comes back later with Squanto, and Squanto decides that Squanto is gonna live with them. And Squanto really o- almost viewed the pilgrims as like, you know, he's the father of this tribe, and he's gonna help them learn to su- survive and succeed. Had it not been for Squanto, the Pilgrims arguably wouldn't have survived because they wouldn't have learned what they needed to know to really hunt well or fish well or or grow crops really at all. But because of his involvement, we do end up having things like the first Thanksgiving. We we have the most successful, longest lasting peace treaty between any whites and any Native Americans in American history between the Pilgrims and the Wampanoag Indians who Squanto was in part of that tribe once his tribe was gone. But the point is, you look at this and it's so easy, as you're mentioning, you could be... Looking at Squanto's life and see so many discouraging, overwhelming parts, kind of like the story of Joseph from the Bible, right? His brother saw him into slavery, and you're like, This is a terrible moment. This and yeah, it probably is. <laughs> Right. That's that's a terrible moment. And then finally, right. He he gets out and, and and now he's working for Potiphar and then there's Potiphar's wife. And like he does the right thing and he's still penalized for doing the right thing and back in prison. And then finally, right, we know the story of Joseph. This is this is very similar to some of the narrative, even of Squanto, where like Squanto presumably is just this innocent native on some level. And yet, in the midst of bad situations, you see God intervening and you see God working. And, and one of the things that's really significant in our book is we, we as I mentioned, we have more than a thousand footnotes in the book. So we will actually have quotes from, from Bradford, from other pilgrims who were there talking about how Squanto helped them. And, and actually, when Squanto ended up dying about two years into his uh, time with the pilgrims, one of the things he actually said as he was dying was, please pray for me that I may go to the white man's heaven. He was so impressed with the pilgrims and, and had such a great relationship. And it's certainly one of those moments you can look at Romans eight twenty eight that we know that God causes all things to work together for good for those 11 who are called according to his purpose, that you can see God working in some of these moments and situations, situations that seemed overwhelming, uh, that seemed like there's no way out except for God, right? We know what's impossible for man is possible with God and God shows up and does something really special. This this literally is the history of our nation. It's not the history of perfect people, but it is the history of a perfect God using imperfect people and doing great things through them. And that's absolutely where we find ourselves. We're imperfect people, but we serve a perfect God. And we know that a perfect God uses imperfect people and can do great things through them.
1: Um, well, I've officially met somebody that talks faster than me. So, Tim, that was amazing. Thank you for being on with us. And I just want to remind people that you have a destiny and a hope and that God is not done with this nation. We are four years from our 250th birthday, right? God's not done with this republic. And so your part is to pray for your government leaders, to pray for your city, state, nation, to vote in every election and to start engaging in civic education and involvement for the sake of this nation. That's what our place is with Christians Engaged. So I want to encourage everybody, take our pledge on our website to pray, vote, and engage. We will not let you forget to pray and to vote and to engage. And, um, and just connect you, continue to educate yourself. I just got an email, Tim, from a lady in, in Canada a few weeks ago, that has now watched I think 30 or 40 of our videos. And she said, I feel like I just woke up from a long sleep. I was only 10% awake and now I'm awake. That's what God's doing right now, right? Is Mm -hmm. he's waking up the church and as you're being awake and you're coming alive, then get yourself educated and plug into what God's called you to do because we all have our place in this battle. Right now, Tim, thank you for your place on the wall. Just like Nehemiah repairing the breach of Jerusalem, we're repairing the breaches in our nation. Thank you guys so much. Um, Thank you. Thank you again. And we'll see you soon.
0: Thank you for joining us for this episode of Conversations with Christians Engaged. Please subscribe to this podcast so you don't ever miss an episode. Also, please review it and share it with your friends. The easiest way to connect with us is to take the pledge on our website at christiansengaged.org. There you can sign up for our weekly prayer text, our bi-weekly emails, and our voting reminders. Christians Engaged is supported by individuals just like you. Would you consider helping us with a monthly donation or a one-time gift? You can do that quickly at christiansengaged.org. What does America need in this hour? America needs you. We are here to serve you and encourage you as you impact your communities. Let's be Christians engaged for the well-being of our nation.